Well, welcome to 930 Worship, and uh, the choirs are going to start a song, and then once you hear the chorus a couple of times, we want you to stand and join with us. This reminds us why we meet every time we meet, because of what Jesus Christ did on the cross. Amen? Hallelujah for the cross.
Go ahead, give the Lord praise. Hallelujah for the cross. We just want to give him thanks. Let's go to him in prayer. Lord God, we come before you and we say collectively, hallelujah for what you've done on the cross. Without it, we would not have no hope. We would have no future. But because you've done what you've done through the cross and through your glorious resurrection, we have a bright hope and a bright future. Because uh, those of us who, who have called you by name and, and uh, have, have sought that salvation that you so generously give, Lord, we, we thank you and we give you praise that we can receive that. And it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. I would like for everybody to uh, take one of these connection cards, please, and, uh, and fill that out. Um, on the front there is just information about you, okay? But on the back, uh, you can uh, have a prayer request. You can request information about the church. And, uh, and so we fill that out, please, and, and put that in the offering plate. Uh, again, just a reminder about offering. We're not passing plates to minimize uh, everybody touching everything, right? Uh, so there will be offering plates on the at the doors on the on the way out as you as you dismiss. All right. So uh, let's continue with worship. And I just love this song. It came to us in the mid '90s, um, so it's a little bit of an old praise song. But the the uh, the theology in this song is so so very solid. Please follow along. And just uh, worship with all your hearts as we sing this together.
Came forth to be born of. 
seated just a moment. Uh, you may notice that uh, somebody who normally sits right there is not here yet, and he won't be. <laughs> so uh, Pastor Philip and uh, Nathan are uh, taking a few days and went down to see some family in, um, in Alabama, and uh, if, if everything goes well, uh, Elena and, and the grandkids will be able to come back and visit for a week or two. So we pray for safe travels there, and uh, James will be preaching at this service, and then our youth pastor Jeffrey will be preaching in the 11 o'clock, so you know, come back at 11 if you like. Um, but, um, but James requested this song because it goes so well with the text of what he's going to be sharing, and, and so let's just sing this with all of our hearts, remembering when uh, death was put to death by our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. sorrow and dead in my sin, lost without hope and no place to begin. Your love made a way. Your love made a way to let mercy come in. When death was arrested and my life began. was redeemed Oh, your grace. Oh, your grace. 
Savior displayed on a criminal's cross. Darkness rejoiced as the heaven had lost. But then Jesus arose with our freedom in hand. Yes, that's when death was arrested and my life began. Well, good morning. A few of you, I know, had a small crisis when you looked at the bulletin, right? There's no outline. So if you have your Bibles, turn to John chapter 4. We're going to be looking at verses 46 through the end of the chapter, verse 52. By the way, guests and friends with us, good morning. I'm James Stryker. I'm not Philip Burden, by the way. Um, our lead pastor will be back um, next week, Lord willing, and back into Daniel uh, as he, we continue that series. And I know many of you have shared with him how you've truly enjoyed it, and I have too. If you have your Bible, I'm going to start in the middle of verse 46, if you won't hold that against me. And I'm going to be starting with the background and kind of the, the point of this whole miracle. Verse 46, and at Capernaum, there was an official whose son was ill. When this man heard that Jesus had come from Judea to Galilee, he went to him and asked him to come down and heal his son, for he was at the point of death. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the miracle stories 
that are in Scripture for us. Lord, there's no accident. There's no coincidence. But there's only great intentionality, Father, that you inspired and led John to tell of this very specific moment in Jesus' life. Oh, Lord, I pray this morning that we would be far from just looking at this in an academic pursuit of studying your word. But, Father, that we truly let your spirit lead and guide us in hearing your word and hearing your hope of life and truth. Father, we thank you for this day of worship. We thank you for the time of worship we've had. But, Father, most of all, we pray that um, it would not be my words I share this morning, but it truly be your spirit speaking through me. For we pray this in your most wonderful name, Lord. Amen. Have you ever had one of those moments where you're absolutely overcome with fear? I can say, honestly, there's not too many times that I am startled, to say the least. But I do remember this one moment in particular. Amy and I had just been married for a couple months. I was in the last year of seminary. And of course, we had dinner together and the manly duty of the house is to clean up after dinner, right? There's a, at least one amen. So I walked over to the kitchen pantry where we had our broom stored, and Amy walked out of the kitchen and to the other part of our small duplex house. I opened the door, I grabbed the broom, and so Amy's coming back to the kitchen from the other side of the door, all right? I quickly... Notice she's coming my way, so I close the door, and now we're standing face to face with my hand and uh, broom in my hand. And all of a sudden, I look at my calm, collected, beautiful bride, and she instantly explodes into a scream in my face. I mean, like a blood curdling scream, one that makes all movies look like sissy screams. She is screaming in my face. Why? Well, unbeknownst, as I stood there, there was a cute little cuddly mouse that crawled out of the pantry and shot straight across the kitchen. (laughs) She was terrified. I had absolutely no clue why. As we come to this passage, I'm reminded of that moment in the intensity of this father who had a son who was near death. He wasn't going to probably make it. He was surely going to die. Can you only imagine this father who traveled to Jesus and what that exchange must have looked like? As we read this passage this morning, there's a lot that can be shared about our faith and trust in our Savior. Amen? And over the last couple times that I've been here and had the opportunity to preach before you, we've been looking at the miracles of Jesus. If you remember, we looked at the miracle of Peter walking on water and and the miracle and the teaching of who Jesus truly was in that moment. We've also looked at um, where Jesus calmed the storm before the disciples because they were in the boat and the storms were tossing them about. But this morning, as we study another of approximately 40 miracles that are um, scribed in Scripture for us, I look at this one and this morning, I hope that your heart is lifted. That there's a, there's a confidence in your faith about trusting in Jesus and letting him be your savior. Do we have anything to fear when we allow that to happen in our lives? So what is the purpose of this miracle? 
Is there a deeper meaning here that John wants to portray or convey to you and me? The answer is absolutely yes. However, the testimony of these miracles, as you read them throughout Scripture, many times we begin to dismiss them and go, well, it's just another miracle of Jesus. But the truth is, each and every one has a distinct and specific truth that we can, we can hold on to and hold dear to our heart. Even Jesus, in his own words, made it clear that the, thing, the miracles he performed in his earthly ministry, they all accredited the fact that God was ultimately in control. Control not only of life, but control over absolutely everything, even death. So John, the son of Zebedee, compiles a bold and pointed message this morning that if we zoom right over the top, oh, I pray we don't miss what he's trying to convey and tell you and I as followers of Jesus Christ. If you spend time this week, I encourage you, go back and look at John chapter 5 through 10 because it's ironic in the truth that Jesus performed so many miracles during his days that in chapters 5 through 10, there was a resistance. There was an unwillingness of so many to not believe and trust in the signs and wonders of what Christ had done, that he truly was the Son of God. There's a repetitive cycle that begins And John starts here at the end of chapter 4 to really hone in on this. Who is this Jesus? And can we truly trust him? Why would John go to this extent? Why would he drive this concept home? Well, the truth was because Jesus Christ is and will remain the full revelation of God's salvation brought to you and me. Amen? Have you found that eternal hope this morning? We've sang about it, amen? But the question is, have you personally received that truth and that hope in your life? What can be said about the multitudes that literally stood before Jesus in the miracles that he worked in his lifetime? They began to flock and they began to to follow this miracle worker. But the truth is, many of them doubted. Listen to John chapter 20. Verses 30 through 31. Jesus did many signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life, may have life in his name. John repeats this thought in verses 24 and 25 of this same ending chapter of this book. This is the disciple who is bearing witness about these things and who has written these things. And we know that this testimony, his testimony, is true. Now there are also many others that Jesus did. Were every one of them to be written? I suppose that the world itself could not contain the book's That would be written. Does that stir your curiosity? It has mine. I've always wondered, what what are some of the other miracles that Jesus did that we don't know about? But the truth is, the, the miracle accounts that we are given in Scripture, there is deep, deep truth to them. So this morning, what do we do with this miracle? Do we zoom right over the top? Oh, I pray we don't. 
Because the truth is when we find our life centered on a genuine faith in Jesus Christ, there's three things that automatically happen in your life and mine. Number one, we can have new life in the midst of crisis. We also, when we place our faith upon Jesus Christ, we have a new beginning of another kind, not just physical. And ultimately, when we rest upon that faith in Jesus Christ, we have all eternity secured for us. Oh, I pray this morning, I too have moments in life that I doubt. This morning, there's going to be a man who is going to be brought to a point of crisis and he's going to have to make a decision. Do I continue to live in doubt and fear or am I going to live and understand who Jesus Christ can be in my life? If you haven't had that opportunity this morning, you will. And I pray that the God above who can speak far greater than I can would share and reveal that truth to you. So let's explore this passage. Look with me at verse 46. We go back to the beginning. New life can be found in the midst of crisis. So he, Jesus, again um, came to Cana in Galilee where he had made the water wine. And at Capernaum there was an official whose son was ill. When this man heard that Jesus had come from Galilee, he went to him and asked him to come down and heal his son, for he was at the point of death. In verse 46, John introduces us to the background of this miracle. In all the details, he draws a clear distinction of Jesus' prior miracles performed. Back in Jerusalem, and then now again, Jesus is back in Cana. And so... As this pattern begins to revolve in John's writing, it's clear to us, who is this official that would come to Jesus? John didn't give a lot of detail about who this man specifically was, right? He was probably most likely a Gentile, a centurion. Uh, He was possibly in the service of Herod Antipas, the Tetrarch of uh, Galilee, which would have been about 4 B.C. to 39 A.D. One might reason, you might reason, that his position offered him special access to this growing miracle worker named Jesus. But the truth is, when you read John chapter 3, we have the story of Nicodemus, a religious leader who came to Jesus by night. And then John chapter 4, in the prior part of this chapter, oh, this week, go back and read this, the story of the Samaritan woman at the well. Because as you read John chapter 3 to John chapter 4, you realize that, you know what, this message that was going to be proclaimed to this Roman official wasn't based upon position and opportunity. It was based upon the need for all of humanity, all of us to hear the hope of Jesus Christ and the salvation offered you and me. Amen. As you continue to look through this miracle, there may be a little part of you who goes, hmm, I have a moment of deja vu. This sounds very similar to another miracle story. True? If you have been in the gospel books of God's word, Matthew chapter 8 and Luke chapter 7 tell of a similar story of the centurion who came to Jesus and asked to have his servant healed. But when you begin to study it, it's really clear here. There's no confusion in John's retelling of this miracle story. There's no similarity in exactly how the miracle played out in the life of Christ. 
As you read through this uh, passage in this verse, many translations begin to kind of subdue the truth here. The truth is when this man came to Jesus, he implored Jesus. He begged Jesus, come back to Capernaum and save my son. He was pleading because he was truly in a moment of crisis. Now, I know several of you out there are wondering, and if I don't answer this question, we're not going to get any further in this message. And all I'll hear this week is, come on, James, tell me the truth. Did you scream too? Well, I may wait. No, I'll tell you. The truth is, I did too. I screamed like a little girl because it scared the life out of me. Because there was no moment of doubting that Amy was, a, was afraid and did not like mice whatsoever. I just chalk it up as ba- uh, poor note-taking during marriage counseling. So come on, bachelors. If you're out there awake, you need to take some note-taking right now. You need to know if your future spouse likes mice or not. It might haunt you for the rest of your life. No, truly, as we look at John's uh, account here of this miracle in Jesus' life, is it implying that we as believers who have put our faith in Jesus Christ, is it wrong to have fear or to be fearful? Well, let's explore this thought a little bit deeper. The question is, do you trust the providential hand of God in your life, even if death becomes of us far earlier than you would ever imagine? What is Romans chapter 8 Verse 28 tell us, it says, And we know that for those who love God, what? All things work together for good, for those who are called according to His purpose. If God is providential and He is truly sovereign over your life and mine, will difficulties and trials shake us? Jesus Himself emphasized this thought in the teaching of the Sermon on the Mount. Look at Matthew chapter 6. If you have your Bible, you can flip over to Matthew chapter 6. These are the very words and teachings of Jesus himself when it comes to this concept of where do we let fear rule in our life? Will we be fearful? Will we let fear rule us? Or will we have power over the fear that will come with life circumstances? Matthew chapter 6, verse 26. Jesus said this. Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to this span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all of his glory, was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after these things. And your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. 
But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Oh, friends, the truth is fear is a human response. True? It's an emotion. It's to be expected. When someone's screaming in your face, you probably will scream too, right? Especially if it's really scared and unprompted. But the reality is we're talking about a fear that makes us live with Jesus off of the throne of our hearts and our lives, and we become the controller of where our destiny goes. Oh, friend, when Jesus Christ overcame the grave and overcame death and death was arrested, we have nothing to fear. Absolutely nothing to fear. And you can testify that in your life, and I can testify of that as well. I pray this morning that you will come to that point of understanding. We have nothing to fear. Absolutely nothing. So let's look deeper into this miracle. Let's see what Jesus' response was truly to this desperate father's cry. If you have your Bible, read with me verses 48 through 50. So Jesus said to him, the official, Unless you see signs and wonders, you will not believe. The official said to him, Sir, come down before my son dies. And Jesus said to him, Go, your son will live. The man believed the word that Jesus spoke to him. And what did he do? He went on his way. In this passage, John provides us a detailed account of the exchange between Jesus and this desperate father who is in a moment of fear and pleading for Jesus to come back to Capernaum. The NIV does actually the best job here in um, not subduing Jesus' response to this man. Because as you read it, Jesus said what? Unless you see signs and wonders, you will not believe. When you dig deep down, drill down into the original text, the reality is Jesus, when he refers to you, he's not referring to the man who's standing before him, the official. He's referring in a plural sense of you all. So who is the you all that Jesus is replying here? Because it almost seems kind of harsh what Jesus, how Jesus is responding to this desperate man pleading for his son's life to be healed in a miracle. Well, the you all, as you begin to go back to John chapter 2, you realize that Jesus was referring to the doubting hearts, the hearts that were hardened. Even as Jesus was performing these miracles, Jesus would tell the disciples, look at their hardened hearts. Because all that they could see was the miracle being formed in this great man called Jesus who could do signs and wonders. Oh, the reality here for you and me is that when Jesus changes and becomes the center of our faith, not the faith in what we get from Jesus, but in truly who He is, you know what? There's a new beginning that begins within our heart. Have you experienced that today? I don't know about you, but over the last couple of years in the church that I came from up north, we had taken students on a mission trip every summer. It kind of became our traditional summer mission trip. And we joined a couple associations up around the Jefferson City area. It's called Mid-Missouri Mission Teams. You may be familiar with it. You may not. But they practice basically a week of mission opportunity for students. 
And I'll tell you, it was amazing to see the transformation that went on in the lives of these students. Because we would not only spend, as this um, experience, mission trip experience was structured, we would spend the day outside in the June and July heat, sweltering heat. I remember July being 110 degrees and we're out painting people's homes and fixing their fences, staining their decks. Um, uh, one summer we painted five houses with a bunch of high schoolers. Now, I don't know if it's still standing, but needless to say, we painted, a, we did a lot of work. And at nighttime, we'd come back and we'd have, a, we'd have a camp pastor who would take us through God's word. Sometimes we'd spend up to two hours studying God's word. A few of you are zoning out already, going, whoa. But the reality is, I remember one summer in particular that will forever be etched in my memory. Because at the end of the week, us adults who would lead these teams, we, there was an opportunity. We were like, hey, it's been a hard week. Let's play dodgeball. Adults against students. Can you only imagine what that was like? And so we end the week. Everybody's at a moment of closing and wrapping things up. And we're like, okay, guys, let's go ahead and go back to the gym. We're going to play. We're going to be faithful to our word. You got a shot. You can hit us in the head if you want. But you know what those students did? They said, we don't want to go to the gym. We want to stay here and worship Jesus. And we not only stayed there and worship Jesus, well, we did it for another two hours. Amen, David? It wasn't because they wanted to be proud and say, look at us. It was because God saved many of their lives. And now even today, there are students who are in ministry they're serving around the world. And that summer, we saw more people. You go back and look at the statistics. We saw more homeowners. We saw neighbors. We saw people at gas stations that we would make connection with. And they were accepting Jesus and their lives were changed too. When you meet the Savior, you know what? Your life changes. And all things else, time just stands still. Because there's a new beginning of the heart that takes on a whole nother life. And that's what's going to happen for this man. What did Jesus say to, to this desperate father? He says, go. Your son will be healed. He's going to live. He's going to make it. The moment of decision and faith was set. What would this man, what would this father do? He left his family behind... His son was at the threshold of death. We need Jesus. Go get him. What would this man do? What would be his step of faith? His desire was to achieve and, and to get Jesus to come back with him. But the truth is, there was something that was started much deeper within his heart. Jesus is the only one that can speak to us. It is his revelation to our heart that can only be driven and given by him. Because as you read in Scripture, you go all the way back to the very first chapters of your Bible. What was broken? Our relationship with God was broken. Sin entered in, and you know what? We can't find our way up from down, left from right. But the truth is, Jesus is the one that gives us full understanding. He, would, he gave this man who sought an answer that was far less important than understanding who the miracle maker truly was. Amen. So let's continue. Our 
faith-centered life doesn't rest upon the crisis of our life or the sin that has broken our rebirth and relationship with God, but ultimately it secures our place for all eternity. Look at verse 51. As he was going down, the official was going down, his servants met him and told him that his son was recovering. So he asked them the hour when he began to get better, and they said to him, yesterday at the seventh hour, the fever left him. The father knew that that was the very hour when Jesus had said to him, your son will live. And he himself believed in all his household. This was now the second sign that Jesus did when he had come from Judea to Galilee. No doubt this official returned home without the miracle maker. Do you think he had a few doubts on his way home? I think he probably did. We don't know. Not the point of John's story to tell about here for us. We know that that man's travel back to um, Capernaum was approximately 18 to 20 miles, depending on exactly where Jesus was in Cana. But the reality is it was a long travel. Even the official's servants crossed paths with Jesus. And it was clear that this was definitely not a simple one-day, ten-minute trip back home. This confirming question is underscored when he asked the servants, How's my son? And what did they say? You can see it in the text. He is alive. Oh, friends, the reality is here that Jesus' miracle performed nearly some 20 miles apart for the young, where the young boy was in the claws of death. Jesus' word prevailed. Amen? And that is the hope that this man went home with. He not only went home with, but he was given proof that, you know what, we can trust Jesus and we can trust the power that he has over this life. Oh, friends, my question is, there's more to the story. Sounds like a happy ending, doesn't it? The boy is healed. Jesus did what he said he was going to do. But as we wrap this up this morning, I think there's something deeper here. I don't want to zoom right over the top. What does it say? The, the father knew that that was the hour when Jesus had, son, your, had said to him, your son will live. And he himself, what? Believed. And what else? In all of his household. Oh, friends, when Jesus touches your life and mine, you know what? There's people who are going to see it. Amen? It is secured for all eternity. That's the hope that this man had. This is the hope that it was fully revealed to him through this miracle. But you know what? Even his family believed also. When I, this week, last couple of weeks, I've been studying this miracle. I went back and looked at the original text. It is very clear that the rest of the family didn't say, oh yeah, that's one of dad's stories again, right? But it literally says that they too believed in the Savior named Jesus Christ. It changed their family for all of eternity. Oh, men, there's no accident here. This week I was humbled in the fact that, you know what, John could have moved on, right? 
He could have said, hey, the boy is healed and these are all the miracles that were performed in Jesus' day. But why did he include this? I don't think there is an accident here at all. That men, you and I, just as we stood up here January the 19th in this choir on our Baptist Men's Day, it was not a spectacle. It was not an activist moment. It was a moment that you and me, as men of the home, have a role of leadership. Amen? That wasn't very convincing. Because you know what? We live in a world that is, is literally geared at deconstructing the family nucleus. It's sad. It is absolutely horrifying to watch it. Because the truth is, after working almost a, uh, a 10 to 15 years with students, I see the impact that it makes. I don't know about you, but I'm grateful for a father who was not perfect, but he was faithful to a Savior that touched his life and changed our family too. Men, there's a miracle for you too. When you let Jesus Christ become the center of your life, you know what? You are securing a place in eternity, not just for your heart, but for the children that follow you. Will you step up to the plate? Will you be faithful in sharing this testimony? I guarantee you, we don't, we, maybe we stand in the realm of glory. We can meet this official. I don't know. I honestly, I think when we get to heaven, a lot of these questions that we have are just going to fade away. Who cares? We worship the one who controls all. But the truth is, there is no question that this man made an impact on his family that he didn't even understand either. My question to you this morning is, do you know who that Savior is in your heart and life today? Will you follow him? Oh, friends, crisis is going to come to your life and mine. It's coming. You don't have to read far in the scripture to know that the story gets a little more challenging as time comes, goes along. But the truth is, we don't have to live in fear. Amen. We do not, we do not, we do not have to live in fear. Because when we know who the Savior is, you know what? There's a new beginning in our life that goes far beyond just a small little sign and wonder. The reality is that there's a spiritual birth that begins within the heart. And I pray this morning that if you've not made that decision, you've put that decision off, you've said, no, God, not today, I pray that today would be that day because it will change all of eternity for you. And maybe not just you, but your family too. Let's pray. Oh, Lord, Father, I'm, I'm humbled by your word because the reality is we are sinful and, Lord, our heart is misguiding. But, Lord, as I have studied this miracle that you inspired and have given to us through John, Lord, we know that we can trust that you are real and that you are true and that we can trust in you. And so, Father, as we live in a day that things seem to be out of control and uncertain, and, Lord God, we have no clear view of what the future will behold, we can still live with the confidence that you are in control. And we thank you for that. Father, we thank you far more that you sent your son and that he victoriously 
um, took the punishment for all of our sins. That, Lord God, death was truly arrested on that day when you raised him from the dead. Father, we thank you for that. Lord, I know there may be one soul in this room here this morning that has never given their heart and their all to you. Oh, Lord, I pray, I plead with you, Father, that you would reveal and speak to that heart and soul here. Father, we thank you for the men of our church, men that are not proud, arrogant, but, Father, men who are humbled and fully devoted to who you are, the Lord and the master of our lives. Father, help us as husbands, as dads, uncles. God, help us to be truly men who reflect your love and your hope. Father, we love you and thank you, and we pray this in your most wonderful name. Amen. This morning, I don't know about you, but it would be remiss if I said, you're dismissed, you may go. Because this passage calls and beckons each one of us, you have to make a decision today. Either you're going to say, yes, Jesus is the Lord of my life, or no, not today. That's not for me. As we have looked at God's word, I have no doubt that his spirit has spoke. And so this morning, I'm going to invite you, as we continue to keep a conscious of um, this altar area, if you want to come up and pray, just spread out. You won't get anything if you stay six foot apart, right? That's why we're separated now. But you know what? This altar is where we meet our Savior and Lord. Amen. There may be someone you need to be praying for this morning. If you don't feel comfortable coming up here, there's no sin in that. I invite you that this whole room is now the altar of decision. What has God pressed upon your heart after reading this miracle? Because it speaks on so many different levels. For you and me. Will you, will you pray? Will you make that decision this morning? I'm going to invite you all to stand as David leads us. Let's sing together. Oh, oh we're free, free, forever we're free. Come join the song of all the redeemed. Yes, we're free, free, forever, amen. When death was arrested life big. Oh, we're free, free, forever we're free. Come join the song of all the redeemed. Yes, we're free, free, forever, amen. When death was arrested, my life began. When death was arrested, my life began. When death was arrested, my life began. Oh, your grace so free washes over me. You have made me new. Now life begins with you. It's your endless love pouring down on us. You have made us new. free. Oh, we're free, free, forever we're free. Come join the song of all 
you as we still have um, a few who are praying. I just want you to ask Debbie if she'd just play through. Bow with me, if you will, for just a minute. My question here is, there's no doubt in reading God's word that God has laid on your heart somebody you need to be praying for. Maybe it's not your kids that are in your home. Maybe grandparents. You need to be praying for your grandchildren. I know that God has laid somebody on your heart in your life. I'm not one about manipulating a decision. I'm not one about extending an altar call forever. But the truth is, when you read God's miracles, you cannot walk away and say, that doesn't have anything to apply to my life. That's good. I'm done. The truth is, we all need the power of Jesus Christ in our life. Amen. I don't know who has been placed on your heart, but when we are dismissed here, and we go back to life, whatever it looks like this week, will you commit? Will you commit to praying for that person that God has laid on your heart right here, right now? Because you know what? That is the altar call. When God says, this is what I'm calling you to do. Oh, friends, there's no doubt the official when he went home, it changed his life and it changed his home. Men, will you step up to the plate? Will you be that agent of change, a change that represents God's sacrificial love for you in your home? I pray that it will. Father, we, in this time, in this altar call, Lord, it doesn't stop here. It goes when we walk through the doors. Lord, game on as we begin this new week. Father, we pray that you would work not just a small miracle in our lives, but, Father, we truly understand the miracle maker and understand, Lord, the call that you've placed before us. Guide us and lead us, and it's in your name we pray. Amen. Thank you for being here this morning. I pray as you're dismissed, who is that one that God has laid on your heart to continue to pray this week? Let's allow the ushers to uh, dismiss you from the back. And uh, let me remind you, too, uh, next week we will have a different schedule. Uh, Nine o'clock will be the same. But at 10.45, not 11, but 10.45 will be our new worship service time. And at that time, we'll also have uh, preschool care available as well as children's church. So do make that note uh, moving forward from uh, the next Sunday moving forward, okay? God bless.